This is the observance night, and uh, this is the third week of the three weeks of the Vasa have passed, and so this Vasa, I was, I was. Uh, not here most of the time. <laughs> it seems like like uh, I made a kind of determination not to travel so much several years ago, and every time I make determinations, it seems like uh, <laughs> I like. Um, then I, I can't keep them because everything, <laughs> all the things that I've determined not to do, I have to do. So in contemplating this, uh, the samsara, this uh, this word is a condition, means a conditioned realm, condition and conditionality or uh, sankaras, uh, that which is begins and ends, born uh, is born and dies, is like that. It's infinitely complex, moving over to more complexity, uh, and it's in this incessant changing state. So, as much as we would like to gain control of it, and uh, Make it in, mold it into the ideal that we hold of how our lives should be. Uh, at the end of the day, we just learn how to accept the flow. So we've all, I think, everybody's the human tendency to want to control and make life, try to bend it to our will and and uh, makes you know order it give orders to it and and um, 
And the result of that, of course, is uh, just frustration, disappointment, discontentment. So the, you know, the, the ideal of the monastic life uh, is uh, in terms of the, of how we interpret the teachings from the Pali is developing this contentment developing, uh, living as an alms mendicant, depending on just what is uh, very basic, and being content and uh, gra- grateful. I've noticed over the years how, including myself included, how this is not so easy to do, because uh, the, the kind of whole mental conditioning, emotional habits, that I've acquired and before I ever became a monk were always the opposite. N- not being content, uh, gratitude wasn't uh, exactly a, um, a requirement. It was like to always progress, get more, achieve, attain. And I think many of us that come from societies that we have uh, quite a lot of security and affluence that we just take for granted and then we make endless more demands. We're never grateful for what is offered. We tend to complain because we could always imagine it being better, more efficient, higher quality. And so, uh, the see, monasticism and Buddhist monasticism is as an opportunity, not for progress, achievement, attainment, uh, and that, but in, in reflecting one's own discontentment or habits of always wanting something you don't have, uh, always dwelling on how better something could be than it is now, uh, thinking that if you had what you wanted, you'd, then you could really practice, or, uh, the, these kind of mental states are reflected in the, uh, can be reflected in the monastic form. Now, in, I remember trying to get jhanas and uh, attain stages in the early days, and this was uh, reading the scriptures and then getting my ideas, interpreting scriptural teachings from a very Western uh, mindset. So like uh, jhanas and stages were always interpreted as attainments and achievements, something you, you get through kind of making yourself do them by achieving and uh, working hard was from the sense that if you work hard, you'll get the reward that you want. But then in uh, the lifestyle that I experienced in Thailand with Ajahn Chah was more, he was not encouraging that kind of activity, not just this kind of willful practice pattern uh, that I so easily fell into and inclined to because it was part of my way I lived my life before. So the, the emphasis was on uh, more on the on being content with little, 
they say uh, in Thailand, Pumak uh, Noi, one who doesn't want very much, doesn't demand very much. And then Katanyugatavati, uh, this, this gratitude, this sense of being grateful for what is offered. So those can be ideals, you know, like, like one can uh, take this idea of being content with little, being grateful for what is offered as, as a kind of beautiful ideas. Uh, and then we can grasp those ideas. Think, I should be someone who's content uh, with little, and I should be grateful for everything that is offered. And so that's how the, the, the mind works. It will grasp ideals of contentment and gratitude and then um, feel uh, that um, I'm not very good because I don't feel grateful or content <laughs> and feel frustrated by that because that's uh, the sense of, of creating ideals. Uh, we're pushing, we're projecting ideals into, into the consciousness. Ideals are, are beautiful you know, so there's nothing wrong with them. They're 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 beautiful uh, creations of the of human of our human mind. But if that basic ignorance and and uh, is has not been been uh, seen through, then we grasp the ideals, and then we measure the reality of this moment uh, uh, and if our with the ideal and we come uh, out with the conclusion we're, we're not what we should be I should be content and I'm not I should be grateful but I'm not so then it goes back into self-disparagement feeling unworthy and and so forth this whole pattern of the uh, self that we create because when we talk about the self, sakyaditi, or the ego, we're talking about you know what we, the, how we regard ourselves. Whether it's uh, overestimation, thinking we're, we're, you know, we're very conceited and better and superior, or we, we're not as good as we're not, we're, we're worthless, inferiority, or even that we're all the same. Isn't that we're we're all equal? We're all the same. Nobody's higher, lower. Everybody's just exactly the same as everybody else. I mean, it, whatever way you conceive humanity and yourself and society, that is, uh, you know, that is a creation of the mind. So no matter how high the ideal might be, or or how uh, critical you can be of yourself or how uh, you know how in the modern they wanting to see everybody is equal is is a very kind of uh, another idealistic attitude we you know we ideally I don't particularly like to think of anybody somebody being superior and inferior human beings I like the idea of egalitarianism equality <coughs> but that's an ideal that's another ideal 
So, in reflecting on this, we see that the, these ideals are uh, maybe not to be grasped, but to but they're they're like directions to go to. How to be content? How can I be content right now, even if I'm feeling discontented? They say right now, if I'm feeling discontented and ungrateful, complaining, and uh, uh, about things because it's not what I particularly I'm, you're not doing the, doing the things the way I want you to and I feel angry, discontented then how to be contented with that and so this is where mindfulness is uh, is the only way you can't solve this through creating another ideal or trying to control your emotions or for, you know, kind of create contentment uh, and, and impose it upon your, your feelings of discontentment. You just get into a jumble and get complicated and it doesn't work anyway. <coughs> so the only escape out of that dilemma is to awareness. So it's quite a revelation, isn't it, to find contentment with feelings of discontentment. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean I'm imposing an ideal on, you know, uh, being content, but it, what this means to me when I talk like this is I, I accept, instead of fighting and resisting or believing or following discontentment, I recognize it, I open to it, I, I, I see it for what it is. It's awareness, that an embracing awareness that allows something to be what it is. So that's getting beyond the thinking processes or the emotional because this is what mindfulness really is. Mindfulness includes everything and in that awareness, in that mindfulness that's our refuge, that's where we can rest and that eventually as we recognize and appreciate this we begin to naturally feel content it's not a, a kind of cultivated state Desire then is dunha is is an energy that 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 we experience. This is a desire realm, the realm of the senses. Uh, the body is a desire form. Uh, everything's about desire. The sensual world, isn't it? The the conditioned realm. This beautiful creates, we see beauty, uh, hear beautiful music, uh, delicious flavors, pleasant aromas, and so forth. We, well then it creates this desire for more. If we're not mindful, we just get caught in this, you know, of, of with, with something that pleases, 
is pleasant, that makes us happy, we want more of it. And so, the body itself is created through is sexual desire, sexual body. Uh, and so it's, it's a natural process, isn't it, of, of, for procreation. Then there has to be this, this meeting of the male and female to procreate the species. And so desire is a part of that process, part of that, this realm, uh, this desire realm. Now when we talk about desire, then we, we you know, it always has a kind of pejorative uh, taint to it. You know, so we think of, we shouldn't, you know, at least in my way I use the word always, desires, and it always has this kind of negative quality to it. But dunha doesn't, doesn't necessarily imply uh, a negative state. One can desire, you know, very good things. So, uh, dunha is, is the word, the Pali word that they use that comes out of ignorance or avicca, not knowing uh, the Dhamma, and then the desire, then dunha, or desire comes from that ignorance. So we, we, we get caught in the illusions of the sense, sense world, in the illusions of our own mind, our own emotional habits, our own views and opinions, the conditioning process that, that took place, cultural conditioning. It's easy to, you know, to, to be fully committed and and uh, caught into those powerful conditions. So then, the how does uh, how can you deal with desire? You know, by if you have a desire to get rid of desire. You know, should we desire to get rid of desire or desire to be free from desire? Is desire something we should resist and fight against? Are we alms mendicants, are we celibate community in order to fight against sexual desire? Fight against desire for sense pleasures? Is this a, is this a kind of warrior form that we've, we've taken on in order to fight against the, the realm of desire? And sometimes uh, it seems we sometimes we treat it like that, as if it, you've got to fight against the, the sensual pleasures, sensual distractions, or the dark forces. So that's a very worldly attitude, isn't it? This desire to you know the the uh, seeing the dark forces or the the good forces, seeing one opposed to the other, trying to hold on to one or get more of the good and fight and resist against the, the bad. We see it in the trilogy of the ring. <laughs> we all feel happy when all the orcs get killed. <laughs> and, And yet Buddhists are supposed to have compassion for all sentient beings. <laughs> mm. 
but in the trilogy, isn't it? The orcs are, you know, they're totally bad, and there's nothing good about an orc, never could be, so I might as well destroy them. There's a kind of logic, you know, that we all appreciate in that, in this respect. But in terms of, of developing the path of Dhamma, they uh, just notice that that the, the resistance, uh, trying to make yourself into somebody good, and and trying to resist the the dark forces, what happens? Do you ever succeed in making yourself purely good and? And your resistance against the dark forces, how successful are you at that? Well, I don't know about you, but I've never been very successful. <laughs> Trying to make myself good, you know, by trying to make myself, you know, idealize goodness, virtue, and all the rest, and then try to make myself into, into that. Uh, I've never been able to really succeed at it. I can never be as good as I can imagine goodness. And then the the dark forces, the negative states, how to you know how to get rid of them so that they never how to fight and destroy them like a eradication, extirpation of all the anger and jealousy and fear meanness, selfishness. And I've never been successful at, at resisting that either. And I can I can kind of it helps, you know, if you've got a if you like being having some kind of a, a commitment to to a moral code or to some ideal does help a little bit, but you never, it's never liberating. Because the liberation can't come through a willful act, uh, through trying to control, through trying to annihilate what you don't like, or just by trying to, to grasp and hold on to goodness as an end in itself. <coughs> because of the very nature of condition of the very nature of phenomena is it's it's changing. It's it's this anicca that is constantly, uh, you know, it's in the constant state of changing. So the Buddha emphasized awareness, mindfulness, sati panya, which is mindfulness, wisdom, sati sampachanya mindfulness and like um, apprehension this ability to you know an intuitive sense of like a, a mindful moment includes it has this this vastness it's not a it's not a discriminative function it's not it's not measuring one thing against another. It's not about uh, uh, labeling things that we're experiencing as good, bad, right, or wrong. But it, our ability to open, be fully open and aware 
of the conditions that we're experiencing that are happening to us at this moment, both internally and externally. So then this is a transcending, or you can say transcending, but that tends to, that it can also be a misleading word. But, but awareness, mindfulness, satisampatanya is a natural state. It's not, you, don't, you can't will yourself into mindfulness. It's not an act of will. The more you try to make yourself mindful, the m- more heedless you are. You know, so all your idealizing mindfulness and then trying to become someone who's mindful. How successful have you been? <laughs> so we can conceive mindfulness, define it, and then grasp the idea of it. And that, then we're not mindful in that very process that I just described. So it's, a, you know, mindfulness isn't, you don't need to define it or, or, or uh, you know, make an eye, uh, form any image of it. It's learning to trust your awareness here and now, this open uh, receptivity here and now. It's, uh, you know, these words can even, the, the words I'm using can even be frustrating for you, but it's an attitude I'm pointing to, more of, of opening and, and listening, being present, rather than trying to become somebody who's present here and now. <coughs> so in that, we, we recognize, realize this, the value of this, it's not it's a, it's a natural state of being, so it's not a creator. It's not, we don't create it. So the point is to recognize it, to realize it. Because the problem is that we, we can live our lives with, you know, having moments of mindfulness without recognizing that we're being mindful. You know, we'd all be dead by now if we were never mindful. I mean, it's an absolute necessity for survival. But... We don't recognize it because the conditioning of the mind is all about getting something you don't have or getting rid of or, you know, comparing, criticizing, holding, holding on to ideas, values, opinions, views, protecting yourself, right and wrong, good and bad, and on and on like this. So even though we might come from uh, good backgrounds with, with uh, good educations and, and good dispositions, if we don't, if we're not, if we have not recognized or realized the value of awareness, even our own goodness is, is, uh, is somehow, always leaves us with a sense of being dissatisfied. Even if I could have everything that I want, as a gift from God, all my wishes fulfilled, you know, and, uh, but I had not awakened, not recognized, not realized awareness, still would be discontented. Or something, something would be, 
you know, some sense of being ill at ease because phenomena is like that. One thing goes on to the next. That's why it's samsara or it's called cycles. You know, when it's cycle, it goes around and around or it's a, a spiral, a vortex of movement. It just spirals and moves around and around. So when you try to figure it out, you end up always, you know, coming, going back to the same where you started, you know, just there's no way out of it through uh, creating more conditions or by trying to destroy the condition. So the, the way of liberation is to recognize or realize the nature of condition. Now the nature of condition, conditions or phenomena is impermanent, unsatisfactory, not self, anisha, dukkanata. But these, also we can form ideas and then we can say, we're Buddhists, we believe all phenomena is impermanent and, and there's no self in it. And those are grasping the ideas again of uh, no self and impermanence and unsatisfactoriness. And then, then we, then we, we operate from a projecting, you know, of projecting ideas onto life, which we don't really see. We're not aware of that. We are operating from a belief in the Buddha's teaching, grasping the teachings of the Buddha, not using them for awakening, for awareness. So then encouragement is to awaken. What is awakenness? And I used to, you know, I, when I first started meditating, after the first year, I, <coughs> I got the idea, I understood things quite well. But I had also, you know, I'd, I'd figured it all out and uh, had a good understanding of the Four Noble Truths. Uh, but that awareness, I, I still, you know, was wanting a definition, you know, how to let go, how to, how to let go of conditions. Was, uh, I, I understood, I had the insight that I should let go of conditions. And then, the, but how do you do that? And just trying to figure out how, how to let go, uh, I would go around in circles. And then one day the the penny dropped. It clicked in my mind of what letting go was. It was an imminent and awakened attention to the present. And then the recognition or realizing of how of the ending of conditions, of how things rise and cease when when something when a condition ceases, there's still awareness. You're aware of its cessation. So there's, there's a continuity in awareness. It's sustainable. It's, a, it's, not, it's not a condition that you create. The state of being, you know, that isn't created out of desire or ignorance. So it's learning to, to recognize and realize that that is the the real refuge. That's the only refuge I have ever 
found in my life, uh, in my investigations uh, through meditation. I've never found a real refuge in a monastery or in a teacher or in sangha or in success or in anything. Even though, you know, I've had good life and good teachers and so forth. But these, you know, every time I start seeking, wanting to hang on to them, then something changes. Now, how to, how to make a perfect monastery, Amaravati, into a perfect monastery for everybody? You know, the best goddamn monastery in the whole world. And, uh, you know, one would like to do that, but <laughs> uh, it's just never going to happen. It's the <laughs> because it, uh, it <laughs> because, you know, one, one recognizes that's just not, that's not where it's at. Even if, even if I could, you know, if I had such kind of brilliant abilities, uh, that I could really, you know, create the, the, the best conditions for you all here in every way. It still wouldn't, you know, it still wouldn't, you know, without the awareness it would be, you know, people would, would not be, you know, it wouldn't be enough for you. It wouldn't be, you know, it would, you'd still feel discontented It's too good. You know, the food's too good here. You need to suffer more with, with awful food, eating nettle soup like milarepa or something. You know, and then you go off into Himalayas and, and eat nettle soup for a couple of years and get malnutrition. <laughs> So in terms of, in like in monastic life, the, 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 to me the value of, of being uh, monastic is uh, it's, uh, le- the contentment of it, learning. I've, I'm content with my life on it, in, its, in its material form. It's... Uh, you know, it's the conditions that that are supportive for practice are fulfilled here in terms of how I see it, and uh, and then uh, grateful because you know I've been uh, given so much, supported so well over many years, both here in the UK and in Thailand. I've you know this is a tremendous. Uh, generosity extended to me uh, through the through the uh, lay communities. So you have, I have this uh, sense of, of gratitude and contentment. Now this gives me a basis for awareness, 
I'm not trying to. I, if I'm just always, if, I have, if I'm not content and not grateful, then I can always, there's always some place I have to go, some, something I have to change. Uh, I've got to, you know, do, do something or get something, get rid of something, and it goes on and on like that. You know, imagine all these years being a monk, then you know, I've got to get practice more. I've got, somebody asked me recently, did I still want to go off and live in a cave? Because that used to be my obsession, was uh, uh, all these years in living in England, you know, there used to be this fra- refrain in the back of my mind, I want to go and live in a cave because, uh, you know, I found uh, community life very frustrating for me. I wasn't content with community life because uh, I found just having to live with so many people, you know, on a personal level. It wasn't, it's not been an easy ride for me. So then I can make that into a problem. You know, I need, I need to go to a cave in order to really get my practice together. Then listening to that, you know, I listen to, I listen to myself thinking and to my desires. Oh, I don't need to go to a cave. <laughs> I don't, I, why do I want to believe that so much? And uh, that's my seeing that I create that desire. I, w- I don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else. It's a desire I create. And by recognizing that, then I can, you know, that's, that the suffering isn't the place or the people or community or being alone or being in a group, but creating a desire around it, either to not be or to, to have, have a, have a, a good sangha. Let's have a really good sangha. Harmonious monks and nuns practicing together, marching onward to Nibbana. Is an idea. <laughs> so, and that doesn't happen either. <laughs> so, that's an ideal, very nice one. And then recognizing this, what I create, and then I feel what I have, you know, the contentment, the um, shelter for the night, food in the alms bowl, robe to wear, medicine, dhamma it's all, you know, it's, is what is is uh, allowed, what is considered helpful, is 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 good. It's good enough. So then, the, the more and more reflecting in this way, I I find contentment. And then that, then I can recognize I'm more clear when when discontentment arises. You know, I understand discontentment. I know it. I felt it. I tasted it. I know exactly what it is. And so it's not that I got rid of it. I destroyed it. It's I, I understood what it is. I see how it arises. I see where, where you know, the, how, how I create that by 
by observing, by being aware. And once you see that process and the letting go, it's quite naturally, it, one doesn't want to hold on to something painful and unpleasant. If once you see that this, it, the, the thing is, the grasping is what is what is so painful. Not even the condition is is nothing wrong with even discontentment. It's the grasping of it, believing it, following it, or trying to get rid of it, denying it. Now recognize that the awareness then allows us to understand, and it's like samaditi, or the, the right understanding, seeing things in the right way, seeing them for what they are, not through uh, what we think they are, or what we believe they are. Seeing through the panya ability to discern things for what they are, rather than than uh, the critical faculty. The critical faculty uh, knows that something is better than something else. This is bigger and that's smaller. But the discerning through awareness isn't a critical function. It's not complaining, criticizing, or saying uh, phenomena, there's anything wrong with phenomena and it's better to, to, you know, you should go to Nibbana and get rid of all phenomena. It's not an annihilation. <laughs> it's a discerning to see phenomena is like this. Sankaras are like this. They are what they are. They come and go and change according to other conditions. Some are pleasant, some are miserable, some are neither pleasant nor miserable. But whatever they are, condition is, is we're not, we're not quibbling about the quality or the quantity of the condition, but recognizing it is what it is. And it is a, it, it isn't a permanent con thing. There's no such thing as a permanent condition. And the assumptions about yourself as being something, always qualifying yourself in some way, I mean, through some identity. You see through that, you're, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. I can't find anything that is truly mine that I can say is really me. And, and that's not a disappointment, that's a relief. Not to be anybody is, a, is freedom. As soon as I become somebody, then I'm not free anymore. I'm going to start the whole, the whole uh, scenario is triggered off becoming, I've got to be Ajahn Tomato, now I've got a posh title. I've become Raj Sameta Ajahn. <laughs> and uh, that, you know, by grasping that one, what, what happens? Raja, a king. <laughs> king Tomato. <laughs> But in terms of Dhamma, isn't it? There's the, those things, titles, names, identities. We're not denying them or dismissing them, but recognizing them in terms of Dhamma. We discern them. 
they are what they are, and they're, you know, then we see that their true nature is anicca dukkanata. So reaching where, where there's, there's nobody, nothing, is, is pure awareness. And, and in that, uh, and once that is recognized, then the path, the way of liberation is very clear. Because that's all it amounts to, is awareness being fully present and trusting in that awareness. You know, it's not asking that you should trust it, but by recognizing it and using, you know, resting and, and uh, reflecting on experience through, the, through your life here, you begin, you know, it's, um, it's uh, you see for yourself, it's, it's uh, it's not a belief or uh, that you you know you'll find out whether you're right after you die but it's provable realizable but it's not what you think So that's enough for this evening.